Well, let's take our Bibles tonight and turn to Acts chapter 26. Acts chapter 26, his commission is our mission. His commission is our mission. So Acts 26 is Paul's declaration of the gospel before Agrippa and also his explanation as to why he's doing what he's doing. And so I believe it'll be a good consideration for us tonight as we think about that title, His Commission is Our Mission. Acts chapter number 26, and Paul is standing before Agrippa. He has stood before Felix. He has stood before Festus. Neither of them found any reason for Paul to be sent to Rome. And now Festus is trying to get some help from this man named Agrippa, who understands Jewish matters better than he does for sure as a Gentile man. And so now Paul is going to make his declaration before Agrippa. Let's read it here this evening in Acts 26, verse 1. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Thou art permitted to speak for thyself. Then Paul stretched forth the hand and answered for himself, I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because I shall answer for myself this day before thee, to touching all things whereof I am accused of the Jews, especially because I know thee to be an expert in all customs and questions, which are among the Jews, wherefore I beseech thee to hear me patiently. My manner of life from my youth, which was at the first among mine own nation at Jerusalem, know all the Jews, which knew me from the beginning. If they would testify that after the most straightest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. And now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made of of God unto our fathers." And which promise are twelve tribes, instantly serving God, day and night, hope to come. For which hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused of the Jews. Why would it be thought a thing incredible with you that God should raise the dead? I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, which thing also I also did in Jerusalem. And many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priest. And when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. And I punished them oft in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And and being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even unto the strange cities. Whereupon I went to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priest. At midday, O king, I saw in the way a great light from heaven, above the brightness of the sun, shining round, round about me and them which journeyed with me. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. But but rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a witness, I'm sorry, a minister and a witness, both of the things which thou hast seen and of those things in which I will appear unto thee. Delivering thee from people, from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. That's quite a mission right there, isn't it? Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision, 
but showed first unto them of Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coast of Judea, then to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. For these causes the Jews caught me in the temple and went about to kill me. Having therefore obtained help of God, I continue unto this day, witnessing both to small and great, saying none other things than those which the prophets and Moses did say should come, that Christ should suffer, and that he should be the first that should rise from the dead, and should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. And as he thus spake for himself, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself. Much learning doth make thee mad. <laughs> You've lost your mind. But he said, I, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak forth the words of truth and soberness. For the king knoweth of these things, he's referring to Agrippa, for the king knoweth of these things before whom I also I speak freely, for I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him, for this thing was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian? He felt a little bit under pressure. And Paul said, I would to God that not only thou, but also all that hear me this day were both almost and altogether such as I am except these bonds. And when they had thus spoken, the king arose, and the governor, and Bernice, and they that sat with them, and when they were gone aside, they talked between themselves, saying, This man doeth nothing worthy of death or of bonds. Then Agrippa, then said Agrippa unto Festus, This man might have been set at liberty if he had not appealed unto Caesar. And then the story goes on about Paul's voyage to Rome. His commission is our mission. His commission is our mission. I hope you won't tune me out tonight because you've heard that before. You won't, will you? Nobody going to do that. Because um, I believe tonight we need to hear this. I trust that we do. It's in God's words right where we are. I believe it's good for us to consider it. His commission is our mission. May God bless the reading of his word as you're seated tonight. We'll get right into the message. A few weeks ago, Brother Rick McQueen conducted their first Wednesday night service in their home at Shawnee, in Shawnee, Oklahoma. They had 13 people. 13 people. Am I right about that? Is that counting Gideon? 13 counting Gideon. All right. So had one in the nursery, 12 and one in the nursery, right? I don't, you don't have the number system. You know, we have, by the way, for those of you that are guests, I don't see where those numbers are right now. Anyways, yeah, they're, they're there. Good. Those numbers that come up, you know, that's uh, babies that are numbered in the nursery, you know, so that's, that's what that is. Mama's, you know, and that's their number. So I don't, I don't guess you have that system set up in the house yet. Not necessary. Okay. One baby in the nursery, 12 people gathered where they could find a seat in the living room. I said, well, Brother Rick, what did you, uh, what did you share? What did you challenge uh, the people gathered there that night? How did you challenge them? He said, well, I, I gave it this title. You ready for it? His commission is our mission. I said, mm, that's good. Can I borrow that? I asked him. He said I could, so here we go. 
but I, I appreciated his explanation. He said, you know, to those folks, and I, I can't get his wording exactly like he did there, but he said, you know, we're going to come upon a time when we're going to be renovating the building. We've secured it now. We've got keys. And uh, Brother Rick and Brother Jude uh, went down this afternoon looking things over, thinking about, you know, what needs to be changed to make this building look like a good church building where we can invite people from Shawnee. And so that, that's going to get busy. It's going to get busy, and some of you maybe are going to get involved in help renovating a building for future services. Praying about a church name, trying to choose a church name. That's, a, that's an important matter. Would you pray to that end? Choosing a church name. Printing gospel tracts. The process of becoming incorporated eventually as a church. And, uh, you know, really so many other details that go into the startup of a church. Just like if you were about to have your first child, then you know the nesting that takes place there and making the room ready and all. I mean, this, having a new child has a lot of work that comes with it. Having a new church does too. But I appreciate where he started. He said, now listen, before we get busy with all kinds of details, we need to begin with the first item of business. And the first priority we have is his commission that he's given to us as a church. We could get lost in a lot of details. We could get involved in a lot of things. And there's a lot of good things that a church can be involved in. But the one thing that we've been left on this earth to do is to preach the gospel, see people saved, those that are saved, to see them baptized, to see those that are baptized gather together into assemblies just like this one where they can begin to grow so that they would go out and share the gospel so that people would be saved and baptized and gathered and grow. That's the Great Commission. Well, here we are as Southwest Baptist Church. We have a name. Check. Right? We have a church building. We've got some renovation to do ourselves. Some updating. We most definitely do. We've got a nursery. Complete with a number system. Yep. And socks and smocks. See? Pretty advanced. Sure. We've got tracks. We've got incorporation papers. We're incorporated. Hey, we're blessed to have all these things. But if we're not careful, we too could get mixed up and lost in all the details and all the ministries. Hey, thank God for all the ministries. But let us not forget that our one mission is still the same mission that is going on in Shawnee, Oklahoma, here just as much as there. And that is his commission. His commission must be our mission. I want to ask you tonight, do you view... The Great Commission as the mission of your life. Do you view, as a believer tonight, do you agree tonight, do you think that we need to have some reminders along the way of this very thing? I believe we all do. Would you agree with that? I mean, many of you are nodding, saying amen. I believe that's exactly right because there is the tendency that we might be inclined to think that, well, somebody else is doing that. I don't, I'm not involved in that. No, listen, if you name the name of Christ, you've got a commission on you. You've, you've got a command. And so I, I'm not asking, is your church a soul winning church? But are you a soul winner in your church? Do, do you get that? Are, are you a soul winner in your church? See, we gather so that we might go out. And we're real good at gathering, and I thank God for that. We're real good at gathering, and, and we go out. But do all go out? I'm, I'm asking you tonight. Do you see yourself as a soul winner? Well, you ought to, right? I think we all have sent to that, that we ought to. 
You see, uh, this past Tuesday, I went, and Monday and Tuesday night, I went to uh, Oklahoma Preacher's Meeting up in Sepulpa, Oklahoma, where um, Brother M.W. Lorenz pastors. He had a gentleman in to preach. I, I've met Brother Brian Sams. He's a member out at Lancaster Baptist Church in California and teaches at West Coast there. And I really enjoyed time with him even while we were in California at one point, but I'd never heard him preach, but I heard him preach on Monday night. And I was telling our Sunday school class this morning, because I taught Philippians 1.12 this morning and the verses that follow in our series in Philippians, I jumped out ahead of our other classes just to uh, try to lead there a little bit. And but Brian, Brian Sams preached Philippians 1.12. And I thought, man, I've been studying this. I'm, th- I'm getting ready to teach this. I'm taking notes. I'm thinking, come on, give it, give it to us. Come on. It's on, you know. And boy, did he. And um, challenged us to think about the Great Commission and are you involved in it? And he was preaching to preachers. But preachers need to hear messages about you're in the Great Commission. And I thank God for it. He gave us all a book that Brother Paul Chapel just, uh, just wrote. I think it just is available through Striving Together Publications. And it's called Out of Commission. The title of the book, Out of Commission. I read the first chapter this afternoon. Out of Commission. And the book begins this way. You'd be hard-pressed to meet a dedicated Christian who doesn't say that the greatest work on earth is evangelization. But while all of us give lip service to evangelizing and discipling, the effect of our labor seems woefully behind. We give lip service to it. We all, everybody in here agree we ought to be soul winners? Okay, you gave lip service to it. I'm setting you up, aren't I? Sorry. That's where we are. We give lip service to it. Yes, we need to be soul winners. But then he says this, Some, somewhere there is a disconnect between the priorities we claim and the actions we practice. The priorities we claim and the actions we practice. Something is broken or maybe it's just out of commission. Out of commission. He gave the illustration about... Um, about an old truck that his granddad had that I, I believe is an old Ford pickup truck, kind of rusted out in the field. And after his granddad passed away, then his grandmother wanted him to have that truck. And he took it with the uh, promise, the idea that he would get it all fixed up, you know, and running again. And, and so time passed and he kind of forgot about it until his grandmother was coming to visit him in California. And so I'm not going to go into all the details there, but he said, you know, really... What I needed to remember about that truck was this. Its greatest need was an engine overhaul, not a paint job. And not aluminum wheels. I mean, all that would dress it up. But what it really needed was not just to be dressed up. It needed to run. And he said, in many churches, we're so concerned about the cosmetics of the church And we look and we want a good paint job and we want to look good on the outside. But maybe what we need to do is look under the hood and ask the question, are we really running on the gospel? Is the engine right? Is the engine right? Everything else needs to be, I mean, you know, the truck needs to be overhauled. It needs to look good on the outside. But if it's not running on the gospel, my friend, that church is not running. 
And I, and I realize, I mean, I'm preaching tonight to a bunch of soul winners. I know that. I realize that. And I, I get that. I really do. And, I, and, I, and by the way, I'm thankful to God for everybody that comes out for visitations and for those who are not able to come to visitation that witness at their job places. And really, those are some of the most effective places that we have. And we have guests every single week. Every week we have guests. In fact, we have more guests than really what we're quite able to keep up with. And we need more people to come on board and to even just help follow up on those who have come to services. Am I right about that, Brother David? That I really feel like that's where we are. I mean, week by week, we're, we're going over visitor cards and have we contacted that person? And, and there are great testimonies. We just had someone come last Sunday and I believe it was by either Monday or Tuesday, Brother Sam Benzwanger had already been on their door. And I'm telling you, that made such a big impact on them that they came and visited the church on Sunday. They loved the singing. They loved the friendliness of the church. They enjoyed the preaching and they, and they said, man, we like the church. But then it most impressed them that somebody was on their door. Yeah. We've got to be a church that's going like that. So I'm, I, I want to ask you, are you going like that individually? Another illustration he gave was about a warship and the war, number of warships that were built during World War II. In fact, they, they were making so many of them because, of course, in the heat of the battle, many of them were being taken out. But they made a surplus of them such that there was sitting out in uh, one of the bays there in, in the north and east, north of uh, San Francisco. There's an a, uh, area there, a bay that is full of old warships that are not being used. And the statement was made that they were prepared for battle, but they were not prepared for disuse. Everybody get that? They were prepared for battle, but they were not prepared just to sit there. And so because many of them have been sitting there, now they're rotting and they're getting, uh, you know, great damage. And so a lot of them have just been scrapped, you know, for metal or for whatever. And some of them have become museums. They were made for battle. They were not made for disuse. Church, this church, we, we can't talk about other churches. How about we just consider Southwest Baptist Church? This church was made for his use. Not for disuse, but for his use that we might be used. Listen, this church was made for spiritual battle. May God help us never to become a museum where the gospel used to be preached. Where soul winning used to happen, where, where buses used to run, where classes used to be thriving and growing and, and, and people being saved and where people used to be baptized, that's a museum. You say, well, it wouldn't happen here. Well, you just travel around America a little while or ask some preachers who travel around and there's some flagship type churches that at one time were soul winning and zealous and going and all those things were in place, but now they're like a museum. Or there's some non-denominational outfit. We're here tonight to consider the words of Paul. Who said, his commission is my mission. You see, tonight I want you to consider this. Why wait for a call when you have a commission? Or I could put it this way. Why wait for a call when you have a command? When you have a command, you have a command. Could, could we personalize it here tonight? We just see and acknowledge, yes, I do. As a Christian, I have a command to go. Why wait for a feeling when you and I know the facts of the gospel? You know the facts, don't you? And, and we all, you know, 
Maybe some days you wake up and you just don't feel like it. Isn't that the truth? Or you got so many other things to do. Well, let's not forget that even in all those other things that we have to do, our number one job is to be a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. Why wait for a call when you have a commission? Why wait for a feeling when you have and know the facts? Why wait for a better time when now is the best time? Paul stood boldly, didn't he, before Agrippa. And he's declared unto him the gospel. So what I'd like to do tonight is really quite simple. I realize, I mean, we read 32 verses here, so there's a lot of details. I really just want to hit the high point, the, the main thought of it. And while we might do a lot more exposition and such, like could be characteristic, I'd really rather just consider it all as a whole. Because we have considered Paul's testimony previously, so that helps us a little bit just to keep going and, and consider how he gave his testimony. But I really want to challenge our church tonight to be a soul winning church. Paul says here, I had a Jewish heritage. I was born a Jew. I was raised a Jew. I was trained as a Jew. And I'm still a Jew, Paul said. I'm still a Jew. And it's for the hope that God gave to the Jews that I've been called into question here today. It's not anything new. It's for the hope that I've been given. You know, when you're driving along certain roads, sometimes you'll see a a sign advertising something, you know, down the road. And sometimes it can be a long way away. You know what I'm talking about? What is it, the Big Texan in, in, in um, Amarillo? Is it, is it the Big Texan? Yep. What is it, 72-ounce steak? If you eat it all within an hour and all the other trimmings and fixings, then it's free. I don't think I'd want to go through that pain just to get something free. I'd just soon pay for it and enjoy it. I've seen a sign in Missouri for that thing. And then you come into Oklahoma and you keep seeing it and seeing it and seeing it and seeing it. Have you ever heard of Klein's Corner? You ever traveled out I-40 West? Klein's Corner, you know, and, and in Klein's Corner, coming, it's coming. Klein's Corner, Klein's Corner. Good night. I was so glad for Klein's Corner to get there. <laughs> how, about, um, how about Fantastic Caverns? I lived in Springfield for about 10 years and never went to the Fantastic Caverns, but I saw signs. I see signs for it in Tennessee. How about Sea Rock City? You ever you see that? I mean, that's kind of one of the American icons, you know. Or how about Lambert's? I mean, that's worth advertising, though. <laughs> Lambert's. I mean, we see signs here for it, you know, and you get closer, you're almost there. And then some of these places like that, once you go past it, they say, you missed it. <laughs> one of these signs, you know, you missed it. Turn around. Go back. They're saying, this is significant. You got to get it. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. Well, listen. Brother, Brother Jim, and, and the, uh, as he sang the solo part this morning with the Masters 4, God saw a cross all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. God made an early announcement, Messiah is coming. Amen. He's coming. It was echoed by Enoch and, and by Moses and by Jeremiah and Isaiah and Malachi and Micah and prophet after prophet after prophet saying, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. And they missed it. How could you miss it after all these signs? They missed it. Paul and Peter stood after his coming to say, you missed it. Turn around. It's him. Yeah. Paul says, that's what I'm called into question for is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And because he's a resurrected savior, I have a commission to carry out because he's a living savior. But Paul was sympathetic in this sense. He could understand how they missed it because at one point in time, he missed it. He missed it to the point that he was zealously 
persecuting those of the church. And we read it. We don't have to reiterate it, but he, but he imprisoned them. He consented to their deaths. He persecuted them in local synagogues. He chased them down into far cities as far as Damascus. One day he was on his way to Damascus to persecute some Christians and see to their death and their at least imprisonment. And a light shone at noonday that was brighter than the sun. Knocked him down, got his attention. And the short end of the story is simply this. He was gloriously saved and given a commission. See, he had a commission from the priest, the chief priest, but he got the great commission from the high priest that day. And he said, I have made you a steward. That means I'm going to give you responsibility for something that is not yours. I'm going to trust you with it. May I remind you tonight that you and I have been entrusted with something that is not ours. That we are debtors. That we must pass it on to somebody else. He's entrusted to us the gospel. And we are witnesses just like Paul was. And he was an eyewitness and he saw the risen Savior. And, and so certainly he had that wonderful privilege and advantage. But he, and he preached like it, didn't he? He was a witness. He was one who told others what he saw and he told others what he heard. But listen tonight, you and I are also called by God and commissioned by the Lord Jesus Christ, the risen Savior, to likewise be a witness of what we have seen and what we have heard, just like Paul was. To do what? Verse number 18, to open their eyes. That means there's people living in this world that can't see. We've had people here recently attending our services who I believe their eyes have been opened. Many have been saved. I rejoice in that. But others that are still attending that are not yet saved, others that are still attending that are yet in some of the sins that I've been preaching, even in Leviticus, you say, seriously? Yes, seriously. Why? Their eyes are blind. But when the gospel is preached and the law is, is, is preached to them, then they see their need. And when they see their need, there's really only one solution, and that would be the Lord Jesus Christ. To open their eyes. To, he says, turn them from darkness to light. From the power of Satan, that means they are under his dominion. From the power of Satan unto God. Here's the result that they might receive on this glorious, the forgiveness of sins that they might be forgiven of everything they did. Hey, listen, they've got a past. Paul had a past. You've got a past. But if you're saved tonight, it's forgiven. Forgiveness of sins and inheritance. I mean, listen, if all he did was just forgive us of our sins, that'd be more than we deserved. But on top of forgiveness, he gave us riches, spiritual riches and inheritance among them that are sanctified by faith in him. Paul says to this vision, this heavenly vision, I was immediately obedient. He said, I went to the Jews and I went to the Gentiles and I preached unto them the the need for them to repent of their sins and turn to God. And he said, because I've received help of God, verse 22, because I've received help of God to this day, I continue on in the gospel ministry. As a fulfillment of what Moses said would come, that Christ should suffer and be the first to rise again. From the dead. Well, that was too much for the, Paul's audience. It was at that point that, that Festus stood up and said, you're crazy. He said, you're mad. He said, you are out of your mind. Now, he actually kind of gave him a, a compliment. Much learning. Right. 
Did, did you catch that? He said, much learning. He says, you've studied a lot. That's actually a compliment. Amen. You get that? Yeah. Much learning, and here's where it goes south. Much learning has made you lose your mind. <laughs> My, well, some of you maybe that are, you know, have done a lot of learning, you'd say, yeah, I can relate with that, <laughs> you know. But what, what Festus was saying was this. He says, you're not living in the real world. You're not living in the real world. Well, what statement would you expect from a man who's living according to his carnal appetites and living strictly for this world? To hear a man stand and say, I'm living and I'm even willing to die because I believe that one died and rose again and he's in heaven now and someday I'm going to go live with him. And, and you can too. And so I'm not surprised that Festus says, you're not even living in the real world. And Paul answers and says, Festus, most noble Festus, I've not, I've not lost my mind. I'm not mad. I'm not out of control here. But I speak forth the words of truth and soberness. Agrippa understands what I'm saying. You notice what he did? He was speaking to Agrippa anyways. He turned it right back. What a soul winner. He didn't let somebody get him off track. He just came right back to his target in, in Agrippa. And he says, Agrippa understands this. And, and he says, because he knows that these things were not done in a corner... And then he, then he just lays it right on King Agrippa in verse number 27. Look at it again. He says, King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? Okay, now, now watch this. If Agrippa says yes, then what Paul is, is setting him up to say is this. The prophets point to Christ. And because the prophets point to Christ and because of what Jesus fulfilled, then the most logical conclusion to come to would be this. Jesus then is the Christ. And so he says to Agrippa, Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? Do you believe the prophets? And Paul has in his mind the prophets who point to Christ. He knows, Agrippa knows where he's going. Do you see that in verse number 28? He says, almost persuadest thou to me be a Christian. There's some question about that. Almost can have this idea. In such a short amount of time, are you going to try to convince me? Or almost, or maybe it was like this, almost. I mean, you almost got me, Paul. But I believe the idea would simply be this. Either way you take it, he says, uh, no, I'm not going there. I'm not going there. Are, are you, you're trying to persuade me to be a Christian? And he shuts him down. And Paul says, I wish that you were. I wish, you, I wish that you were just like me, except for these bonds. I wouldn't want you to be locked up. Agrippa had heard enough. It was at that point that Agrippa and Festus and Bernice and all the other delegates stood up and walked out. You know, along the way, we've had a few people walk out of our church services. We have. Uh, sometimes it's at a moment, maybe when they need to step out. You know, this is all a good reason why you don't step out in a church service time. Because the preacher thinks they're under conviction. Maybe you just need to go to the restroom or something like that. But preacher's thinking, man, they're under conviction. They're running to the back. No, I'm just kidding. Not really like that. We've had some people, though, here recently that walked out at kind of an inconvenient time. And then here, here's some of them. I, I saw them walked out. And I thought, or somebody told me later that they walked out. And I thought, oh, man. It was during some of the Leviticus stuff and, and uh, some of those points. And I thought, oh, wow, they are upset. Maybe they're not coming back. But 
They came back in and sat down. But we've had some. We've had some who walked out. And I pray, my prayer is, is that it would never be because in the way that it comes across from this pulpit is offensive in itself. The truth itself offends. But the way that we come across and the spirit that we have shouldn't be that which would cause people to say, if that's how Christians are, I don't want anything to do with that. No. But at the same time, we've got to preach it straight. But sometimes when you preach it straight, somebody might get under conviction. And, and I'm saying to you, even when you're doing soul winning, somebody might try to change the subject on you. And generally what that means is you hit a nerve. And uh, they understand what you're saying. And they don't like it. And they may walk out. But I love what Paul did. Paul accepted the role of proclaiming the gospel as the mission of his life. Because it was the commission of the risen Savior. As Southwest Baptist Church, I believe tonight that we should accept it as our role of continuing to preach the gospel as the, as the mission of our church because it is the commission of our risen Savior. I believe that we, by the grace of God, are doing that but I believe by the grace of God that we need to increase and double our efforts in doing that. I want to thank God for the youth conference this past week. We had a lot of people, as you heard, eight saved, and a lot of others making decisions. But I got to thinking about it. You know, a lot of the people that came for the conference, they were like Festus. They were so in tune with worldly things that as a preacher stood up here, and though they no doubt enjoyed it, I mean, I don't know how you couldn't with Michael Jones and Kurt Skelly. I believe they did. But I'm sure they said, you want me to go back to my public school or go back and live like that? You've got to be out of your mind. Much learning, preacher, has made you crazy. There'd be some like Agrippa who know that it's true what is being said but they're too concerned about their life and maybe what even others would think to apply it to themselves. I believe there might be some of both of those parties right here represented in this auditorium as I'm preaching to you tonight. Some that are so worldly minded that as a preacher stands here to declare to you how that you're to live for eternal and heavenly things, you think, man, preacher, much study there in that study has made you mad. I'm living for other things. Others who know you know that this Bible is true and you know that these things are right. But you're saying it's not for me to live for that. But then what I want to focus on is this. Thank God for the Pauls. Thank God for the Pauls who in their journey of life, even though they were headed a wrong way, that Christ's glory knocked them on their face on the ground and they saw how glorious and wonderful he is and wanted to live for him. I want to challenge our young people tonight who through camp and through youth conference that you might see that his commission is to be the mission of your life. The mission of your life. That you might go and stand before principles. Not in trouble. But go and stand before principles and testify the gospel, the grace of God. That you might stand before teachers. That you might stand before your classmates that you might stand before your family members and stand uh, there at, at, at before your friends in the hallways and talk of Christ unashamedly. Amen. 
without fear. We're about to have Welcome Heartland Sunday in a couple weeks. Brother uh, Louie reminded this morning in our men's prayer meeting, the students, they're coming. It's, it's kind of comical in my mind. They're coming. <laughs> Some of them are already back. They're here. Why do we have Welcome Heartland Sunday? I'll tell you why. Because Christ's commission is our mission. And God has seen fit to call and commission some to serve him even in a full-time way. And, And we are so blessed to have them here. You see, before God sends a man out or a young lady out to serve him, there's always a time of preparation. Paul spent two years in Arabia. Most students that come here spend at least four years in Oklahoma City. So what's the connection? They're preparing. That's the only similarity. Let's pray and plan for their arrival. Some of them are going to be away from home for the very first time. They don't have it all figured out. But many, and many of their lives, though, are in commission. They're servicing the Savior. Do they have some nuts and bolts that need to be tightened down? Oh, yes, no doubt about it. And we are the privileged ones to get to labor alongside of them. Adopt students. They'll be with you for their first year and the rest of your life. <laughs> as was said in our Sunday school this morning. It's a blessing. Let me, let me challenge you as a church. Keep serving, continue serving where you're currently serving. Don't let it even enter your mind, well, the students are back. Now we can kind of step back and let them do it. No. No, it doesn't mean a break from ministry. What it means is this, an increase in ministry. That, that's what it is. It's an increase. It means that we can do more. But, but they need to see, and we have teenagers and college age and, and adults who are working in children's churches and in bus ministries. Please do not get in your mind, well, or in the nursery for that matter. Please do not get in your mind, well, the students are back. Now we can let them get plugged in and we can take a break. Or we should step back and let them serve because they're like professionals. <laughs> no, they're not. They love the Lord and they want to do well. And yes, they may, they're gifted in, in many ways, and, and, and some are very special and things of that nature, you know. I mean, it's sure. But they don't have it all figured out. No, please, continue serving where you're serving. And, and since I'm preaching on soul winning, we go out every Tuesday night and every Saturday morning, and we load up buses, and we use like three on Tuesday nights, and... Uh, three or four on Saturday mornings or or more than that. Uh, But we've got 23 buses or four, something like that. What am I saying? We could load up more buses. We could have a lot more buses going out. That's not our goal. Does everybody understand what I'm saying? Our goal is not, oh, let's have bigger ministries, more people coming out. No, that's not the, that's, That's a means to the end. The end is sharing Christ. 
And, and so we can double our efforts. We can increase our efforts. And, and I went and I visited bus uh, five uh, with my son, Tyler, and, and he was introducing me to the kids that ride bus five uh, yesterday. And I got to meet them and their parents or grandparents or their guardians and such. But listen, I'm just simply saying to you, there is so much to do in the bus ministry. And our number of captains and workers right now is low. And the need is high. He said, well, the students are coming. <laughs> the Calvary is coming, right? Yeah, the students are coming. The students are coming. I mean, yes, they're coming, but listen, they'll leave. And then for the months of the summer and in the winter months, I mean, there's got to be people there that'll work those buses. So blessed to go around yesterday and and see the homes that we're going to. Because the gospel has no geographical boundaries, no social boundaries, no racial boundaries. I tried to speak Spanish yesterday with the family from Honduras. Did you hear the key word? Tried. It's a blessing. I'm simply asking you tonight are you in commission? Are you working? Are you functioning, doing what you ought to do? Are you taking an active part in Christ's mission? There's, there's a lot of parts to this. I was speaking with Brother Jeff Athey before, and he just uh, returning from some of his uh, responsibilities in reserves and such, and, and he uh, helps to operate the AWACS in the sense of some of the uh, readings, and he was explaining to me, and it just uh, went over my head pretty quick. But he was explaining how that, how that there were, I believe it was 23 different nations, he said, that were working together even out in Hawaii, just kind of like an assimilated deal. If there was a major disaster, how could we get humanitarian help there? And so they just went through some of those things. But he was explaining to me how there's communication between that, that, uh, that vessel, the, the ship, and, and between the aircraft and between people on the ground. And there's so, much, there's so many parts to that. And listen, we're in a spiritual battle. And there's so many parts to that that are here, represented by the nursery, by the children's churches, by the buses, by the Sunday school, by the choir, by the greeters, by the parking lot attendants, by the deaf ministry, by on and on. Every part, but it's everybody doing their part for the one thing, the main thing. And we must continue at Southwest Baptist Church. I believe you've heard this. We've got to keep the main thing the main thing. Because if we get off of the main thing, we're off. Are you on a mission? Do you see the table at your break room at work as a witness stand? It really is. It's a place where you can witness. Do you see the waiting room in the hospital as a witness stand? The grocery line, the bus stop, the lunch table at your public high school? Do you see your Facebook page as a witness stand? A place for you to witness about what God has done great in your life? A place where you can post and, and declare how that he saved your soul? Where you can testify of Christ? It may be that God would have you to text, tweet, or write a good old-fashioned letter. Like with a pen and paper, you just take it out and, and then you like use a stamp. Whether it's FaceTime or calling a cell phone or just using a good old-fashioned landline, use the means available. 
to tell about the Savior. Maybe at the gas pump or maybe the bench at the ball game. Maybe you're spending a lot of time there. You can use it as an opportunity to witness. I'm just simply saying the gospel's got to go everywhere from everyone who knows Christ to everyone who does not. I just finished reading uh, the biography of Fred Donaldson. Probably about three or four times throughout that book about this great missionary who went to China. If you've never read it, it's a wonderful thing. They wonderful story. They, they call him Mr. Missions. But he, over and over, he emphasized this in America. And he worked, of course, at Baptist Bible College as the first missions director, first missions director of the Baptist Bible Fellowship International. And he's well known for saying this, that the light that shines farthest shines brightest at home. The light that shines the farthest shines brightest at home. I'm glad we're shining far in many directions, but we must shine bright right here. Father, we come to you today, and I pray that you'd help us, God, to accept, to embrace, be fully engaged in this soul-winning mission. Lord, I confess to you tonight before this church that I pastor that I've allowed other things to take my attention away from just some personal soul-winning times. And so, God, I pray that you'd help us all. Lord, we don't, we don't want to soul-win out of guilt or even greed what we could get out of it. I, I don't in any way want to motivate the church based on that, though I don't mind to emphasize areas where we ought to be convicted. But, Lord, we ought to be soul winners because we have such a wonderful Savior and love him because he first loved us. And so, Father, I pray you'd help us to be motivated by grace here. And, Lord, uh, keep our church in commission. Lord, we don't want to be known for a past of soul winning, care for lives, and a love for the gospel. But, Lord, right now where we are, we just want to be faithful with the gospel. Help us to be stewards. Help us to be witnesses. There may be some who walk away from the gospel message lost. There may be others who ridicule or think that we've lost our mind, whatever it may be, God. But we, we know the truth, and we want to show forth the words of truth and soberness, just as Paul did. Help us to do that, dear God. And I know we can get distracted by a lot of other things and even petty issues, dear God, and many things that have importance, but the gospel being of the utmost importance. Oh, Lord, help us. I do pray. Keep us on your mission and help some tonight that maybe at one time they were zealous for the gospel, but they've, they have lost their zeal. I pray that, God, you would stir them up once again with a passion for Christ and a, and a passion to help others know him. In Jesus' name, amen.